Welcome to Resident Advisors Exchange, our series of conversations with the artists, labels, and promoters shaping the electronic music landscape. My name's Mark Smith, and I'm the tech editor at Resident Advisor. The inner workings of three artist collectives were explored last November at Ableton's Loop Conference in a series of talks titled Building Creative Ecosystems. This week's exchange was recorded live with Discwoman's shy boy, student, and DJ Haram, who discussed how the collective's commitment to amplify each other provides a banner of visibility and strength for female and non-binary artists. Moderated by Andrea Gertzka, the talk asked the question of how collectives make decisions, how they overcome challenges, and the ways they provide artists with a community context where they can thrive both as individuals and with their peers. As always, you can find our full archive of exchanges at residentadvisor.net and follow us on SoundCloud at ra-exchange. The Building Creative Ecosystems Exchange is up next. Welcome to Loop. My name is Andrea Götzke and I'm the moderator for this panel on building creative ecosystems with Discwoman. And in this series, we are kind of looking up from the instrument into the environment around us and to the other people. And we'll talk about different collectives who shape their environment together, support each other in different types of uh, structures. And the first group is Discwoman. I'm happy to welcome students. Hello, what's up? And um, Shy Boy. Hello. And DJ Haram. Hi. <laughs> Very nice to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Before we start talking about Discwoman that you are all a part of, you're also part of other collectives. We're going to talk about that in the next hour. Um, I would like to briefly look into all your individual creative practice. Mm -hmm. I think that's important to understand first, like who you are as artists. And so I would just like to do a brief round of, of introduction, what you are currently like, interested in in your practice. So student, you're a DJ, multi-instrumental artist with training in jazz piano, guitar, and sampling on turntables. And you also teach creative production, right? This and is true. just giving the, the keywords and leave it to you for the... Sure. You know. I started in music when I was a lot younger and kind of got forced into it, like the way a lot of parents like force you to start an instrument and kind of learn to love it just through practice. 
and I started on guitar and piano and fell in love with both of those things. And when I got to college, I kind of stopped with it and started getting interested in electronic music just from clubbing in New York. And only really in college did I start experimenting with electronic production, synthesizers, DAWs, and Ableton. And since then, I think Ableton has been my primary, my primary tool for creating, or just like where I put all the stuff that I use, whether it's guitar or piano or like a hardware synth or soft synth. It's pretty much my main medium. And I also DJ. Yeah, that's kind of it. <laughs> okay. Shyboy, you are a DJ, producer, visual artist, and curator. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I leave the details to you. <laughs> yeah, so I'm a multidisciplinary artist. I do video and sound installation and performances, as well as DJ and sometimes produce when I have free time, and then when I have <laughs> other free time, I curate. I think a lot of my work comes from just trying to break down and understand what's going around me, and creative output is the best way for me to do that. It's the best way for me to learn personally, and I love to research, so researching new topics, researching how to use new software, new instruments, new mediums in general is just like how I go through my everyday life, and it allows me to, I think, be a better person, but also a more calm person who just wants to you know, drag you into my world for an hour and a half, if so much, or you know, longer when I'm doing a set. And uh, DJ Haram, you're DJ producer, curator, party organizer, radio host, and Zeno writer, yeah. <laughs> just for the keywords. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite songs right now, the intro, is one of my favorite rappers, Booty Chain, they have a quote that says, who has time to have a job when you have several jobs? And I highly identify with that. I feel like I have all of the jobs and all of the avenues in music are places that I'm interested in pursuing. So yeah, I started as a improv noise artist playing music, started DJing after that, producing on software, hardware, throwing parties, I manage and represent an artist. I've done some scoring. That's like kind of in between the lines of soundscaping and producing dance music. I do whatever. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We will talk more about all the different things you do and in are interested in also then when we talk about collectives. But let's now look into Disc Woman. And um, we've brought a little clip that gives you an introduction. So lots of things have been said about Disc Woman, and those of you who don't know about it get an idea by this clip. There needs to be more diversity, yes, on the stage, and sometimes that needs to happen behind the scenes too. What we see a lot of is whitewashing within electronic music. Most festival lineups are usually like 10% women. You're like, wow, there are so many women who are like doing really amazing things. I'm starting to notice that this is like an actual pattern of just not being diverse lineups in our media community. There's a lot of people behind the scenes that are giving these opportunities to a generic white man crowd and DJ. And that's what we are really having this conversation about. This woman started off as a two-day showcase in 2014. We had 12 women-identified DJs. They donated their time, and we donated the proceeds to a local nonprofit. But now it's kind of broadened out as being an agency and platform that represents people who don't fit the sort of white male cis build in music. 
we're just trying to combat the heavily male-dominated music industry in all sorts of creative ways. The model of kind of like drawing from your local talent and offering a more diverse lineup was something that we could like copy in other cities and other cities reached out for us to do it. We were like, oh, maybe there's a way we can like make money for artists and be able to give ourselves a little bit of change too. We all care about the artists and what they need in order to do their jobs. And that's what keeps me up. And like, I want to make sure that everyone's good. Their work is important and that's really what it's about. There's so much pressure on like venues to like make back that they just sort of surrender like any kind of creative sort of integrity at all. They just want to put in like big acts. The more examples you see of someone like you doing a job that you didn't think you could do, that's really encouraging. So the more variety of diverse bodies that we see in these jobs, the more I think others will be inspired to feel that they can be in that place too. We're constantly trying to like grow and push each other and let's bring on more people and managing all the new artists we want to bring on and support. Any conversation we're having about diversity at large, it's always going to be ongoing. I mean like someone like Frankie, like she's so vocal in having these conversations and like Emma actually doing it and like being on stage and creating her own spaces for that. We all do that in our own ways and all of our artists do that in their own ways. I'm really just trying to focus on like staying as sort of like humble and grounded as possible with all of this change and like press and all this kind of stuff. A lot of it is just getting started and if we can encourage people to try and to believe that they can have a place, then that's really ideal. That's a cute video. Hey. <laughs> So, but none of you is in the video, actually. <laughs> so, you are not among the founders, but you have joined Discwoman at a later stage, I think. Mm -hmm. um, like, how did you join Discwoman and why? What was your motivation? I don't want to speak for everyone, but I feel like um, I had a relationship with Christine and Frankie and Emma prior to joining Discwoman. We kind of knew each other in the scene, in the music scene in New York. I think that in New York it is kind of easy to get to know people once you start going out, and especially if you're into a, like, a particular kind of music, techno or club music. So we had a relationship beforehand, and it felt kind of natural. Like, we actually got along. We sincerely care about each other. There's an actual vibe. It's not like a transactional relationship. And so it kind of just happened naturally. Like, we were friends, and then it kind of just made sense. Mm -hmm. I think I was also looking for representation and had a hard time figuring out what made sense for me and I didn't want to commit to anything. Not like selling out, but just like I didn't want to co-sign or be involved with something that I had, um, that I didn't share the same values with, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. I think that with a lot of agencies, it can feel really distant or it can feel like you're not really sure if whoever is working really cares or understands your needs as an artist. How's that for you? I did a few fashion week parties for the label Chromat that Becca McCarran runs, who is Christine's wife now. And then I think there was like a period in time where people kept asking me or I would be doing parties and they're like, oh, we're going to put this woman on it. And I'm like, I'm not part of this woman. But like, I think people just automatically assumed I was part of this woman. And then uh, Frankie and I had a conversation. She was like, do you want to join the agency? And, like, and the same thing with Izzy. But just like knowing these people one-on-one -on -one and having a relationship with them made me want to join because 
I personally wasn't necessarily looking for representation for various reasons, like a lot being that, you know, the music industry can be very insidious and evil at times, and I, I wasn't sure how much of myself I wanted to contribute to that process. And then just being around Frankie, Christine, and Emma, them caring personally about me as an artist was what made me join. Like, if I'm having a problem right now, I can call one of them and they're going to try their hardest to figure it out. Whereas I have friends who are part of other agencies where, you know, their booking agent doesn't care or the company doesn't care. They just want to, you know, make money and call it a day. So having that personal experience is really important for me. Mm-hmm. How is that for you? My origin story with this woman is a little bit different than student and shy boy. I was, I think, the fourth artist to be added, and the first artist that's not based in New York to be added to the agency's roster. It's kind of a funny story. The very first time that I met Disco Men and kind of even knew who they were was one of the first, if not the first, Disco Men showcase they did outside of New York, which was in Philly. And, you know, I just got an email from a local promoter who was like, we're doing an all-women DJ showcase, you know, with Disco Men. I'm like Googling them and like not much is coming up. I'm like, okay, was that one of the biggest nightclubs in the city? So I wanted to play on that sound system. So I was like, all right. And just for other reasons of the circumstance, I was just not in the right place to just throw down a great set. They had booked me to play the opening set and there was no one in the club at all. And I was like so annoyed. I was like, even this woman won't notice me. Um, (laughs) And I was still playing on a controller and a laptop with a sound card and like all this clunky stuff like next to the CDJs being an amateur. And not once, but two times during my set, the sound just like stopped playing. I think like one of my cables came loose with my like secondhand equipment, like all the sound exited the club. And I just like looked at this woman like, (laughs) and then I felt like a couple months later, they just, they hit me up and they were like, yeah, I don't know if you know, but we're an agency and this is what we do, like more on the technical side besides throwing parties. And at that point in my career, I want to say this was like 2015. At that point, I was a little bit more on kind of like my punk DIY way of thinking about music. And I was like, yeah, I play noise. Yeah, I'm a DJ. I'm trying to make music, but I don't want, I don't want it to be my job because I don't want it to turn into this thing where I'm motivated by money or something. And then this woman approached me and I was like, you know, I don't have a high school diploma. I don't have a college degree. I don't have any other kind of institutional support or association in music. Like, you know, I didn't go to any music school. I don't have any mentors. And I was like, wait, this is my chance, you know, to like have someone besides just me. Just because how my career was going, I was depending on music and also really happy that I could use my gigs to also pursue my creative goals. So I just, you know, I just went with it. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, all of you mentioned you kind of are coming into this woman because this woman uh, operates as a booking agency, mm-hmm. and uh, like it's always said, it's a collective and a booking agency, and or is it a collectively run booking agency? Can you explain a little bit, or is the booking agency kind of the focus of it, or is there anything more around? that makes it kind of different from a regular booking agency? The best way to put it is that this woman is the umbrella 
So Discoman D Collective, Discoman, every one of the members, and then DW Artists, which is the agency, is like a leg or an arm, a part of it's an offshoot, but they operate in conversation with each other. You know, so Discoman is a platform, it's a collective. We put out music, mixes, you know, we do it all, but like also, aside from that, like operating collectively, there are multiple people managing artists as well. How many of you are you in, in total? In the, like on the entire roster, how many? I think there are like nine or ten of us. Nine? I think that the collective, like Discoman as the platform, is like what people know the most. It's like what has the most branding opportunities. It's what people see in a magazine. It's like the platform that can sponsor other people, even if they aren't necessarily on the roster. It's like, it's how we achieve our messaging. It's like a medium. I think that's like what the Twitter is, what the Instagram is. It's, it's the way that Discoman can articulate what it's trying to do um, within the music industry. So I think it's like less about the artists. It's less about us as the roster and it's more about the ethos of what, yeah. you know, what, what's in, in, the, in the video, like trying to push forward a different narrative that's not the same straight white cis male, like behind some CDJs, like playing some boring tracks at 120 BPM, you know? Like, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I like the, um, the, the kind of motto or that you have amplify each other, mm. which I think is kind of a nice description of like mutual support or a nice image for this, mm. but also could mean, and this would be my question, is it also be meant like as a kind of political statement, like amplify each other if you say you amplify the voices of women, of queer people, people of color, like it also some kind of a political act. I feel that from the video, this is also something that this woman aims to, to make a statement kind of in the music industry, or is it more like really about this group of people supporting each other? I think it's both. I think that it's weird to separate like the personal from the political or to think that like things that you do or believe aren't political, especially music. So I think that like, it's kind of the same, like what you're saying, like the, the idea of amplifying each other collectively or supporting each other is political in the sense that queer people, marginalized people, women don't get the same resources and support that other people do. And so that is inherently political to give your material labor, emotional labor to someone else and to believe in them enough to support them and push them and believe in them even if other people don't. And I think especially in music there's a tendency to feel like there's a scarcity of resources just because it's so hard to make a living and make money off of music and any creative endeavor. I think especially for marginalized yeah, DJs and musicians because I think a lot of times people think oh one person can get in and yeah. then that's it and then that's just a go-to token of like the week or the month. So instead of abiding by those rules, it's like, first of all, there should be no door for you to close. You know, there's space and resources for all of us to be here. So yeah, pushing against the narrative that, you know, there has to be one like black queer DJ or like one trans DJ producer, you know, it's really, it's like tacky to like tokenize people like that and think that, I don't know, yeah, it's just like there's so many people who look exactly alike and do the same thing and nobody has a problem with it, but, you know, once it's someone that doesn't look like anyone like that, it's like, all right, we got enough of that, you know? Yeah. Fill a quota, boom, checkbox, hmm. you know? And it's like, that's so, it's like gross, to be hmm. honest. 
Maybe this kind of leads to the question of the, the headline for this panel, Building Creative Ecosystems. What does a creative ecosystem look like for you, ideally? And I mean, I'm glad that um, Shaibai brought up the topic of scarcity. I think that has a lot to do with, or that's like, yeah, that's a central idea of the purpose of collectives and the idea of collectives as a tool against individual pursuits and in this case of like creative expression and forming creative ecosystems that are sustainable so i think essentially like a creative ecosystem is something that where there are sustainable resources where it's not you know it's not like gig to gig that's not really an ecosystem if you're just like hopping around by yourself trying to make ends meet yeah i think that ecosystem is composed of like networks of support which is definitely what discoman is mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think what you said about sus sustainability is super important because right. it's just hard if you're like navigating the industry or yeah, just the music industry like on your own. When I think of creative ecosystem in terms of discoment or just in general, I think that it's funny to like think of just like music and like creative expression is just like what you see at like the DJ booth or like when you go to a show because there's so much behind the scenes mm -hmm. work that goes into it and like having a creative ecosystem or having a system of support, a creative system of support, is like being able to turn to someone and honestly be vulnerable and have them be able to be honestly vulnerable with you back and give you the truth about a promoter or another artist or, yeah, it's you know. It's definitely about checking in check, too, you know, in. it's like. Yeah. Especially after one of my friends come off from tour, I try to hit them up, get in contact with them, because touring is hard, and you know, you're in a place that you've never been before, you're by yourself, it's super isolating, right? Then you're finally back home, and then, I know a lot of my friends, once when they go on tour, then come back to New York, they stay by themselves, even more just because they've gone so used to being in that isolated environment. Emotional support, I think, is also really important within a creative ecosystem. You know, just checking in, going to the movies, you know, a face mask, yeah. you know? <laughs> um, you know, it's like, it's not always just, oh, I'm going to accompany to your gig and make sure someone's there, you know, dancing, you know, to like warm the crowd up. It's so much more than that. It's a creative ecosystem is your friends. These are people you work with and you love and you get to do amazing things with, but this should also be, you know, your second family as well. I think kind of what I was getting at was like that there are so many different kinds of creative ec ecosystems. Like all these people in this room probably have a, their own idea of what that is for them, whether you're a musician or just whatever way you express yourself, you exist in a, a backdrop. And I think there are like ways to navigate that alone. Resources I think are at the basis of it, you know? A very functional creative ecosystem could be one person who can afford studio time or their own really nice studio and can afford to do things like, you know, go to a therapist and go to a masseuse and that, that kind of care after tour and, you know, have that be their ecosystem. So I think if you're thinking about or considering engaging or want to build a more collective model about that, the resources is where it has to start. And I think collectively sharing resources and also redistributing resources mm -hmm. are like an essential part of that. Um, I think the collective model or the idea of working collectively acknowledges that people aren't treated equally and therefore people don't have equal access to resources. So, yeah, in my opinion, it's just for show if it, you know, resource-wise isn't collective, you know what I mean? Hmm. 
and within Discwoman, how are you organized then? So, for example, you come back from tour, and are there people within Discwoman that then call you up, or you can, you, or you give each other feedback on what, how you're doing, and so on? How, how does it, I mean, like, we're practically we're work? We're, like, all actually friends, so it's yeah, kind yeah. of okay. just, like, having, like, real human interaction, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. being like, yeah, you're my friend, like, what's up, I want to hang out with you, but... In terms of like actual like organization, it's like we do meet up, we have dinners. Like every time somebody gets added to the roster, we make sure that we like have a dinner and like actually hang out and get yeah, to know them. Meet. Besides yeah. like just knowing them on the internet. And in terms of just support, it's like we're all talking all the time, kind of just checking in, making sure that everyone got to their flight. I feel like it's just like the small things to know that somebody's like thinking of you and supporting you just in very small ways that like make a difference, you know? Mm -hmm. Someone just remembering like, I don't know, that you had like a really tough time and then you're like flying all the way to Moscow. Like we, d we all like flew to Russia first to come here for some reason and it was just like <laughs> so weird. And like Frankie like, <laughs> like called me to make sure that like everything was okay because like my flight was like super Aww. crazy, you know what I mean? It's like That's things sweet. like that that like are nice, you know? It just makes you feel like, okay, someone's thinking of me yeah. and I'm not alone. Yeah, I think another thing as far as like sharing and redistributing resources is like disc woman kind of people can't conceive of it. They're like, what is disc woman? Like I'm wearing a disc woman jacket, so I'm disc woman today. You know, it's like <laughs> I'm gonna go with it because no one knows what's real. So cool. But it's like <laughs> with that kind of like mystique, I believe in myth making. I think it's a great thing to do as an artist to just build the myth and go in the direction you want to because the truth is going to escape everyone anyway. And I think like with that, people approach disc woman, just disc woman in general with opportunities for things like production, like commissions, gigs, recreation right, opportunities. Project, like a lot of things onto it because it's just so amorphous and it's like, right. what exactly is it? It's everything. Right, but know? it's the thing that is very identifiably about gender and promoting and pushing women and non-male people. Yeah. yeah, so it's like they identify that, but they don't know exactly like who specifically they should be working with or what these, where these opportunities should go. And I think Discoman does a good job at like spreading that around through the roster and even through other artists that they work with a lot in New York, other cities that they frequent too. Yeah, it's like if, you know, if an opportunity comes in, it's like, if it, it's kind of like open, like, it'll be shared with all of us and it's like, we'll ask like, is anyone interested in this? And if not, it's like, we'll be like, okay, like, well, do you know anyone that might be yeah, interested right. in this or can like benefit from like this if kind of exposure? If we get opportunities and like, if we're not available or like to do a gig, then we'll, you know, talk amongst ourselves and like, okay, so who are some DJs in, in our city that we really like that we think would really benefit from this opportunity? And then we'd like pass on that opportunity to them. Yeah. So it's even bigger. I mean, mm -hmm. because you also mm -hmm. bring in all your networks and it's mm -hmm. kind of... I think, a student in Shaiba, you are also part of a, another collective called... How do you pronounce it? Kunk. Kunk. Do you want to share? Because I think it's also interesting. <laughs> I mean, Kunk yeah. is kind of similar in that it's like an amorphous identity collective group of people who are multidisciplinary artists. It operates a lot less visibly than Discoman. It's not really, we don't like to like brand ourselves. We don't like have like an official Twitter or Instagram. It's more- yeah, uh, I think we're all 
too mysterious. <laughs> yeah, or like, yeah, there's like, we don't have an investment in like being like hierarchical or being, it like feels too much to like force any of us to be like concretize like what our relationship to each other and like what we do is. It's kind of like, we'll get together and like do an interview or something, but we're not really invested in making merch or like having like a weekly party. It's more kind of, it's similar in that it's like, Group of friends. Group of friends with like shared uh, shared values. leftist politics. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, kind of a little bit nihilistic. Yeah, I'd a, say. a lot nihilistic for sure. Yeah. yeah. Are you part of any other collective structures as well? No, I'm not part of any other collectives. Like I do throw some events in Philly with friends, but it's not really like formally a collective. But it is something that we do. We like we function and operate collectively and like share all the tasks and that kind of thing, which is kind of how I approach most projects, you know, that I'm doing with my peers. I think a lot of people actually in music, uh, artists like operate collectively and it's what's challenging is to be a collective and then to get so big like Discoman and like get compartmentalized in a certain way where it's like people only know like the founders or like people only know like some part of the roster because they're like into techno or like know some, you know, and so it's hard to keep the collective identity sometimes when it gets yeah. to a certain level because people... And we're so spread out too, you yeah. know, it's like Zer and Mobile Girl, they're part of this woman, but you know, they're, this woman agency represents them for their North American bookings because they're both based they're here based in Berlin. Here. Yeah, yeah. And then um, Juana is based in DC. Haram is in Philly. You know, we're kind of spread out all over the place. Yeah. Does that change this woman somehow? I think it started in, in New York and then now it's spreading all over the place with now even members in Berlin. Yeah, we're definitely spread. This weekend, um, we're on three continents. Yeah. Right? Yeah, Whoa. so, which is really cool. Um, <laughs> um, Fang and uh, Christine are doing a show in Chile for a festival. We're here for Ableton and Bearcat is holding it down in New York. So to yeah. see it manifest this large to the point where like, holy shit, there's, we're like <laughs> in three <laughs> continents right now. That's really cool. Yeah. But does that also change how this woman kind of operates internally if you start having people like all over the place? I think it's more challenging yeah. because, I mean, obviously it's, it's like a, a very like material, tangible thing where it's like, how do we communicate and organize when people are traveling and doing so many different things and have like competing schedules and how do we think about adding people to the roster and who do we add and yeah I think just like as anything gets bigger it just becomes more challenging because there's a certain bandwidth that everybody has you know with their personal lives and creative pursuits and you know it's like discipline is only so much a part of our our identity and lives so yeah just by virtue of it getting larger it's comes with different tasks and challenges yeah do you actually discuss everything, like do you decision making together? Is there some kind of like things that only the founders like, decide on or how, how does that work? No, I think that we, we do try to talk about like additions to the roster or like even before that kind of happens, it's we communicate about what we think about people who are interested in joining Discoman or people that we're interested in bringing on. I think that it's not like we're totally clueless about anyone that comes on, I think, if that makes sense. It's like all of us are kind of in the loop or like know who the person is beforehand, uh, I think. I feel a little bit less in the loop because I'm in Philly. 
so I miss You're meetings the altar and stuff like that. I have. I miss your dinners. We've never had dinner in Philly. <laughs> <laughs> it's cool. I have dinner. You um, are in New York like every week. Though. I know. You're always know. in New York. I know. I know. I know. But I think one thing that is important to acknowledge both about us and just kind of the idea of collectives and their goals and how they work, you know, realistically in the in a context that doesn't support collective organizing and sharing of resources that encourages us to do all the opposite is that you cannot pretend that you are functioning with your group in the ideal circumstance. So some would say like the way a collective should be operated is by consensus and everyone has to consent to every decision that has to be made. But we're that's, also trying to that's function. That's just not realistic. Right. It's we're not. trying to like get things done and there's so many things coming in and so many people going places that like there is no one cares to make to contribute to every decision. And I think that's like an important functional detail that people do have to negotiate in collectives. And that is easiest done when people have real relationships with each other so that you know, no one's assuming like, oh, it's okay if I do this or, you know, not checking in enough or checking in too much or something like that. So, I mean, so I wasn't complaining that I missed meetings. I'm so glad that no one expects me to come to New York. <laughs> it's two hours away for those that don't know, like if I went by car and I don't have a car, so not going. But I contribute how I can. I think that's like a good thing. Like people bring what they want to and aren't necessarily obligated. Right, I don't, there's not like a bullet point of things you need to adhere to, and if you don't, then you get kicked out the club. <laughs> you know, it's like, right. it's very laid back as it should be. Mm -hmm. What you just said kind of reminded me of something you've said before to me, where first I was reminded of like, just the fact that we have real relationships and that requires trust and not having to be a part of every decision requires trusting the people that you work with. But what you said reminds me of when you talk about transparency and mm. like the need for transparency in collectives in order to like have that trust and know that, you know. Right. If I'm not participating, that the collective best interest is still going to be pushed forward without me having to mm -hmm. physically be there. Yeah. So are you also using the collective kind of on an artistic level? Are you, you do all your own kind of music and it's not like a, there's a kind of this woman sound or something. I think that's at least how I see it from, mm -hmm. from the outside. Are you also like giving each other feedback on, on the artistic side or is that also where you're collaborating? Or? I mean, if someone sends me tracks, I, I'm more than willing to like listen, offer my critiques of what I think is good, what I think needs to be improved. Uh, I think we collaborate a fair amount. You know, like we DJ. I feel like we, all of us DJ a lot together. Yeah. I've DJed with you a couple of times. Yeah, I've DJed with you a couple of hmm. times. That's true. I feel like we share stuff all the time yeah. and like give each other feedback. In particular, like I feel like we talk about how to use our synths when we don't know how to use them, which is nice. And like mm -hmm. just having somebody as a reference point or just like creative feedback. I think that for me in particular, it's hard to share my work. And so having Discoman or like, especially these two, like people I trust and whose work I actually value and know that their values are similar to mine and that they're not gonna lie to me about if my work is fucked up, like it's, <laughs> If it's, it's bad, real. it's bad, and you have yeah. to be objective about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if it's fucked up, it's fucked up. Yeah. yeah. 
Do you feel that you could go even further with this woman, like in your collective organizing? Do, or do you think it's already good think where it is? Or, or do you find there's kind of space to, to do more or better? I think I want to also resist the idea of like this woman as having, as much as I said that I think what we do is like inherently political. Like I think that applies to kind of everyone like artistically, but I also want to push against the idea of like this woman becoming like the token for like gender equality or race equality. You know, it's like, it's like we're all just artists too, like really good talented artists. And it's like, it doesn't have to be all the time. We have like some weird agenda to like make you a better person or like believe things that you should believe on your own. It just so happens that like, yeah, that like applies to us and it's like maybe you should just think about all the other things you care about and why they don't care about the things that we do. You know what I mean? If that makes yeah. sense? Like it doesn't have to be all the time like we're activists, you know? Yeah. Like that's not an onus to put on us or yeah. Discwoman. It's just right. we do that as people because we're real. <laughs> right. I mean I think like just on that, this isn't really answering your question, but just going off what student was saying, I think it's just like there have been people saying the words and talking and writing theory about gender and race and class and the intersections of all of that that are more nuanced and thorough and radical than us mm -hmm. for decades before we were doing it, you know? And I think an essential part for me is not doing as much talking about these ideas and kind of just putting that materially into the work because I think what needs to happen is like, you know, people need material to advance forward. Like people, like we need structural change right. in the industry. If people want exposure to ideas about why patriarchy is bad, they can find that easily. It's very people accessible. are just ignoring if they don't want to hear. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I think it's like... And you should just be inherent in your work. You shouldn't have to... Right. You know, it's like every time I DJ, I shouldn't have to be like, I'm a queer black Jamaican woman who moved <laughs> to the United States and I rose above. Like, no, I, like, I, don't, I don't want to have to do that. That's so annoying. Right. <laughs> like, it just takes up a lot of time. You know, it should just be inherent in your work. It shouldn't have to be this thing you have to say over and over again because also a part of it is like once when you normalize it, then you see how regular all of this is, it's like, yeah, we should be more radical thinkers. We should want to do more. We should want to be better. And we should want to help each other like, without it being like, oh, I'm doing this good deed today. You know, it should just be who you are. One thing I read in an article about the Kunk Collective was a kind of interesting idea of that you're like, using lo-fi audio, audio, or that you're mm -hmm. kind of pr pushing that forward, maybe in, under the idea of like, in our work, what we kind of stand for. I thought this wasn't like an interesting point. Do you maybe want to talk about that? Lo-fi audio. L We're talking about Vogue and ballroom music in particular, right? I believe in the article. So in, in like a lot of big clubs, you know, you have to play wave files or it has to be a minimum of like 320 and stuff like that. Izzy, student and Rizla brought up in, a co in the conversation that by pushing forward those standards, you eliminate so many people, and it typically is marginalized people. For example, if, if I want to play a lot of like, like dancehall music from you know, the early 2000s, those aren't available in WAV files anywhere. It's gonna be low frequency. Mm -hmm. But just because it's not of a high quality that's acceptable by the global North and Western powers doesn't mean that the audio or the song is not good. It just doesn't have the same these people just don't have the same resources to create a nice, shiny, mix and master song. 
you know, so pushing forward that lo-fi is also a part of the underground. It's also just like giving testament to like how people can work without having all of the systems are available to a lot of people. That especially, and I think we were also speaking to just like vinyl culture and just the way that like, yeah, it's just like, it's absurd that there's like so many like, like hierarchies and like, you know, kind of like gradations of like what is acceptable and like what is good and like if you do this, you're a bad DJ. And it's just like, you know, who made, who the fuck made that up anyway? Like, who cares what they think? Like, like, you know what I mean? It's like, not everybody like can like get a turntable or like have vinyl or do all these things. And it's just like creating like, like just a barrier. Like, it's just absurd. I don't know. It seems silly. And it's like, like you said, like there's just so much music that's like, it's not, it just, it doesn't exist in these, in these forms and it becomes like a, a process of erasure mm-hmm. that happens, that like happens in so many other ways and it like just, it's just another example of just like systematic erasure and, exactly. and saying people like, this isn't valuable and like you don't, like what you do isn't like worth our time even though we're gonna like take it and like make, you know, Diplo's gonna make some like dance hall beat for like Justin Bieber and like everyone's <laughs> gonna love it. You know what I mean? It's like, it's fucked up. Yeah, I kind of, yeah. I like that example also in the sense of from the amplify each other, like the, from what you have in Disc Woman, like I felt like it kind of came all together there for me, mm, <laughs> like, yeah. to how you also like creating, create those ecosystems yeah. and be inclusive, like really inclusive, not kind of tokenizing those groups as you were talking about before. Mm-hmm. So um, we have 10 minutes left, so maybe we open up to the audience. Okay, maybe we start here and then take turns. I'll bet you have a lot of people that want to become a part of Disc Woman. How do you decide, like, the criteria for, like, adding people? Because you probably realistically can't add as many people as want to be a part of the collective. So how do you screen people out? What's, is that a good, just a group decision? Or is there, like, a core values kind of thing? Or Usually we send a quest via email (laughs) and then you have to go you have a map and then you know you dig up six feet and then you pull out a bag and then it says can you beat match these three songs (laughs) i think okay that's i feel like that's that would be good that would be good um we should do that one we're like not that we're like not that involved in that decision making process but like i think the way it actually happens is kind of the way that you know, in the way that we individually told our stories about getting involved, it's like we had a relationship, um, like a working relationship or friendship with the people who started Disc Woman beforehand. And I think we have working relationships, friendships with people that get added. Also, and it's because, like we're on the artist side, so we're not, we, we personally aren't actively scouting people. But, you know, yeah. when like if, you know, some Christine or Frankie will bring up someone and be like, hey, I think they're cool. What do you think about them? You know, yeah. it's like, oh, they're cool. Kind of check in. Yeah. I, I represent another collective from England, the Yorkshire Soundwomen Network. We've been doing this for a couple of years um, and recognize a lot of what you're talking about. But one of the things that I wanted to mention or ask about really is how the industry can be doing more because of the emotional labor, the, the physical labor, the amount of work that women are doing. I counted maybe 52 different organizations for women just in music technology. There's a lot of donated labor. And this ecosystem depends on, you know, you look around the room and loads of guys have that privilege to not have to come here because it's not affecting them, but loads of guys have come here, which I really celebrate, to come and 
listen to you talking about this woman. So what, what do you have any thoughts about this? How to wake everyone up to the economics, the sort of bigger picture? You can only save yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I can't. I would say that it's like, in some way, that's like, it's like, in some way, it's like reiterating the onus on women or trans people or non-binary people to be the change makers mm -hmm. when like existing is like a political act in itself. And it's the people who have privilege and who have access that need to do the work themselves. You know what I mean? It's like kind of Word. like nobody, you can't wake someone else up. Like I feel like there's been enough history that has happened for people to like care or not. And, and it's, it's, this isn't new. It's, yeah, this it's is not, not new. a new thing. So I think Haram said it's like you got to just do what you're doing and find people that support you and support those people right. and fuck everybody else. Oh, people are into it and then like word just spreads organically. I mean, you can lead the horse to water but you can't force it to drink, right? Like, it's that kind of thing. Yep. Hi. Uh, my name is Lily. I am a student and producer and I attend a graduate program where there are very few women. I have been wanting to start some sort of collective, some sort of program where uh, more students and undergraduates can get involved and become less intimidated by uh, my music production tech program. Um, and I've been speaking a lot with my collaborators and there's been some discussion about what is going to be the most effective and best way to kind of bring on more people and some ideas have been thrown around like I really believe in face-to-face uh, -face meetings and discussion while some of my other collaborators believe in more social media presence, videos, guest speakers. Um, so I was just wondering your opinions on maybe what would be the most effective. Both. Yeah. Like, that, like definitely do both. Um, I think being in a room with someone is completely different than only interacting with them online. And then that can hopefully bring like a good connection between you or like among all of you. Also makes people a, a bit less intimidated once you get to know them. And then having, I mean, just being able to sit down next to someone and like go through a DAW, go through production principles, like do ear training, you know, I think it is just re really good. So use social media to reach out, find people, and then, you know, bring it back to the classroom for sure. Yeah, I'd also say like in terms of like if people don't agree on what is the best way to like approach it, it's like you should just allow people to do the things that they feel like they do well. You know what I mean? It's yeah, like do, if do everything. Right. Yeah. Like like put people in place who feel like they can take on those tasks. Like not like if you don't want to do social media, like don't put someone that doesn't want to do it. Like right. just allow them to do what. If your person doesn't like one-on-one -on -one stuff because you have social anxiety because <laughs> I'm right there with you, you know, like, <laughs> then don't do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm curious if you guys can talk a little bit about how you deal with conflict within the collective. Like, maybe it's, I assume it comes up in some situations, like, if there's a gig and you're having a meeting or some of these opportunities that you talk about, what happens when there's more than, how do you resolve a conflict if there's more than one person that wants those, if it defers to hierarchy or just what your process is? I don't know any conflict that has come out of competition. That has never been a thing I've experienced over the past two years. Yeah. No, yeah. But what do you guys think that is? Like, how does that even be, how does that issue People. even get circumnavigated? I mean, I think it's like we all like kind of do our own thing and it's like some of us get the same opportunities, but also it's like the 
resisting the idea of scarcity, like resisting the idea that like right. if someone is like gets something and it's good for them, like that you shouldn't be happy because you don't have the same thing. It's yeah, like exactly. it's like yeah. why would I? Well, some there's enough resources. You're not going to be upset that someone got a gig because you know you know something's coming up for you soon. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think Disc Woman also is cool. Like the way it, like things play out is part of it is because all of the artists who are on the roster, no one is like their thing is Disc Woman and they're riding the coattails of Disc Woman. It's like we all are like strongly in our own worlds too. And Disc Woman is just like a platform for us. So. Yeah, we are like so different and there, I feel like there isn't even that much overlap that it would be like, oh, we both want to be like the headliner, mm. but someone has to be the opener. That doesn't yeah. really happen. I guess, I mean, I've been booked with other artists before. I think it's like important to like check in, like when I'm playing, even with my friends who aren't on Disc Woman, like I think it's important to check in about what resources you're getting and how much you're getting paid because oh, I yeah. think that could be a big Always conflict. ask how much you're, yeah, you're because getting paid. I think that's really important because mm -hmm. I've been on lineups with other people. I also have Disc Woman, just like friends and I'm like, wait, how much are you getting paid? Right. It would be like my white male friend and they're getting paid more than me and it's like, hold right. up. Need to call a promoter right now. Right. We're having a three-way conversation because mm -hmm. we're doing the same slot, but just <laughs> three-way conversation. Oh, uh, I don't play with that. <laughs> yeah, but like for True. some reason, you're getting paid more. So um, right, that hasn't happened to me within this woman, but like in other other things. Yeah, I think you should mm -hmm. definitely always ask other artists who you're friends with how much they're getting paid to make sure you know mm -hmm. everyone's, transparency. Everyone's being paid fairly. You know. Yeah, I've definitely pulled together like my money for like someone who I was playing with that I knew was getting paid less, but like they really wanted to take the gig. So, I would, so we would both take the gig and then like I would split, we would like pull our money together then split down the middle to make sure everyone got paid fairly, just to go around that system with the promoters. Hi, I work as a designer for a company that makes electronic musical instrument. And especially in this, in this field, like is much more male dominant white male dominant, much more than piano, guitar, analog instruments. And even if we start with the best intentions of, because like we really want, we as designers, to, to reach out, to, to, to talk with different kinds of people and sounds and music, it's very difficult. It's very difficult and you end up in this loop where you want to change the audience, but the audience that is looking for that kind of uh, instruments is white male. So my question is, like, is there anything that, well, I don't know, when you approach an instrument and say, like, oh, this is so annoying, this is like, so predictable, so annoying in any way. What kind of instruments do you make? Like what, like Eurorack? I work for a company called Rolly. We do. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah. You do the, the thing that you... Yeah, the special. Uh, well, you, I mean, didn't you just work with Suzy Analog? Yes. yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's really cool. I, does anyone yeah, want to take this question? No, that's okay. all you, student. Um, so <laughs> I, I actually work for a Eurorack company. I'm like manager of Eurorack company, and we talk about this issue a lot because I think 
just like in a very tangible way, I think price point is like very important. Like when I think about like the cost of like one Euro rack module or probably the cost of a Roli, it's like that's pretty inaccessible. And I think that if you aren't actively making your instruments accessible, like people can come use them and have the time to use them and make things with them. It's like there's no way to change the audience if you're not like openly inviting people to like have a space to so play you say with like things? workshops. Yeah, so people can use it. Workshops. And, and like figure it out yeah. if they can't afford it. Yeah, and also just like, I don't know. I've said this before on the internet where I think that like companies to just like give stuff away for free at a certain yeah. point or like be like, hey, we're gonna like, I don't know, give away like a certain amount of these things and like we're not gonna think about like the, the cost of it to our company, you know what I mean? It's like, I think about like how much we make on a module and it's like, I don't know, like 150% of the, the like actual cost it is to make it, and it's kind of ridiculous. And so I think just like really being invested in being like, oh no, we're actually just going to give this away for free, or like, you know what I mean? It's like, that's, that's kind of it. You know, workshops, making it accessible, inviting people. And I think like, you say it's hard, and I think that might be true, but I think, you know, you can just go on the internet and also just look at people and directly reach out to people and be like, hey, like, do you want to try this thing out? Like, do you want us to send you one? And like, or is there somewhere we can like set you up to like go and like play with this thing? You know, it's like you have Definitely. to like. I feel like at this point, work. there's also like lists that are around of like women in electronic music and websites dedicated to that. Like, I think a Google search. Specific, I mean, this is within North America, of course. I don't know how it is here. Female pressure, exactly. Female pressure has like a list of over a hundred women artists like in the electronic music scene. You know, like, yeah. flip through. Send the email and be like, hey, what's up? Yeah, I, I think we're all, like, all of us are like really open to like working with. Like, we, I would love to be hit up by more companies to like try their things or yeah, like definitely. have them, You know what I mean? It's right. like that's awesome. <laughs> I don't think no one, anyone would say no to that. You know? Yeah, I think it's also a part of it. It's like I think definitely what they've said so far is it giving people things and letting them do what they want to do with those tools is how you have to go. You can't give someone a synth and be like, all right, you can get this if you do six workshops that are full of 50 women in every single workshop. <laughs> like, no, that's not how it works. Like, this takes time. You have to invest in people's actual lives and careers. But I think a really big part of making, especially, like, production tools, not just something, like, you know, something a little more complicated, I guess, um, is kind of, like, undoing the way or trying to undo the way that a professional or someone formally educated or an engineer would be thinking about these tools and thinking about music and how to use them and what the importance of an impact is of them. Um, I just like feel like for myself personally, not having any formal education in music or otherwise, I approach music so much differently from people who are engineers or who have gone to a music school or even 100%. you know gone to college for psychology. Like it's just different for me, but. You know, I know that my approach is just as valid as anyone who has like the technical know-how that they've gotten from whatever access. You know what I mean? And I yeah. think just like valuing what everyone brings in like a real way is a big part of it. And like not approaching people like you're trying to like save them or teach them, but like that you want yeah. to learn from. It's like them a genuine. Too. It should be a genuine experience. Like, hi, I think you're good. Please try this product. I think it will mm -hmm. only help you be better. Or like do weirder things, you know? Mm -hmm. Right. No. Thank you. Good question. Okay. 
I think we have to wrap up now. Time is up. <laughs> okay. Do you maybe just want to share one like inspiration for other people who want to maybe start a collective, something? <laughs> I'd say meet people where they're at. And by that I mean like, kind of like speaking yeah, to this. me halfway. Right. If you've really invested in someone, invested in an artist, invested in a friend or whatever, it's like you got to be willing to like meet them where they're at, like with the resources they have, with the knowledge that they have, and like take that seriously and like honor it for what it is. Because if, you know, it's like people do as much as they can with what they have, and like that's real. Yeah, definitely. I would love to piggyback off that, you know, because like, like Haram, like I don't have like any musical training whatsoever, like, at all. Like, I, I can listen to music, can make music. I say you make magic. Thank you. You. Magic. <laughs> you know, it's like, I remember when I first started trying to collab with other people and I, I didn't have the language to, like, talk about music in a professional way, then I realized that people would then talk down to me because I, didn't, I wasn't using the correct language that right. one is supposed to use in a production studio. <laughs> You know, <laughs> but it's like if you can make the same product without the same language or without the same experience, and like what, like what, how valuable is that language other than to prove that, oh hey, we both know this thing, you yeah. know? So I think getting rid of all of those these like um, preconceived notions of how music can be made and how it should be made needs to be completely removed because it just eliminates so many people and isolates them and, not, and maybe doesn't make them want to go forward. Yeah, totally. You know, so definitely meet someone halfway and, you know, give them the resources that you're giving, that you have too, you know. You didn't wake up out the womb, like, knowing how to use a DAW, so don't treat, <laughs> so, like, don't act like that's how it works. Student definitely Student popped did. out the womb. Student the came modular. out the womb knowing I how to use a DAW. Ten, like, yeah. they gave it to That me. was your twin. Student was born with, like, modular synthesizers, but, you know, not all of us are so lucky. <laughs> Yeah, I had two things to share. One thing that's a little more kind of specific and technical on the topic of doing collective organizing and working with people in collectives, um, I think it's really important to identify real goals you have. So it's like the goal is to promote all of us and make the music industry better, but also you need to identify specific goals you have, things that you can accomplish and like undoubtedly be like, we did that and your actions needs to be leading up to those, but also consistent with your bigger, you know, transformative goals. And then on a kind of more general tip, yeah, I think people, like, if you are approaching this kind of work, which I think I encourage everyone to do, um, whether you're someone who feels like you could benefit from having more access, or if you feel like you're someone who has a lot of access and you should share, I think everyone should engage this kind of working, and whether or not you're in a collective or not, you should be sharing what you have access to or asking what for what you need. Just stay away from being a savior and thinking that you're gonna like change everything and fix the music industry. Because you know what I mean? It's just like you're not going to see those things happen. And like I said, you can only save yourself at the end of the day. <laughs> you're not gonna be like the hero. So if that's where your mind is, well, and so that's that shouldn't your motivation. be your goal, you know? Right? Yeah. Like, your version of saving is not the same as someone else. Right. You know. But yeah, I mean, I just think there's like a lot of people who are interested in this idea of like operating collectively. So I think that I'm just, what I'm trying to say is like, 
be true to what you're saying you're trying to do. Don't just like have a crew and run with them and then abandon them when you get an individual opportunity, you know? Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>